Well, welcome to uh, the show this morning. We have a very unique and interesting guest. His name is Michael Harrison. Uh, he is the editor of Talkers Magazine. He's also the host of the Michael Harrison Rap, which is a weekly uh, a weekly show heard on the Talk Media Network, which is a, a radio syndication network, uh, as well as uh, he hosts a, a podcast, the Michael Harrison Interview, which is heard on Podcast One. But we're having him on because you all know if you spend any time listening to me, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time talking about music. I spend a lot of time talking about music radio. Uh, it's a great passion of, I, of mine. Michael is here in a very unique capacity. Um, last week marked the 54th anniversary of the birth of a giant radio station, both in my own personal universe, because it's all about me, but also in the universe of rock radio and music radio, the birth of, of the modern version of WNEW-FM in New York. Uh, Michael became a, a DJ there, and then we're going to also talk to, we're gonna talk to him about that, but we're going to talk to him about, uh, about the birth of a format that he had a massive hand, if not the hand in creating the AOR or album oriented rock format. Michael, listen, so glad you can join me today. Let's start here. When did you fall in love with radio as a medium? I fell in love with radio as a kid. I um, I had the I grew up in the New York metropolitan yeah. area. I was born in Brooklyn, uh, lived a little bit in Queens, then grew up on Long Island as a kid and started. I went to college on Long Island and I started in radio on Long Island. So that's my background. And um, uh, obviously, if I was part of the early NEW, I've been around the track a few times. <laughs> so my yeah. childhood goes back to the fifties, and I was very fortunate. Uh, we had two kids in my family, and I was the baby of the family. I had, a, I had a sister who's eight years older than me. So she was in the 50s, a teenager. And okay. I, was in, I was in the aughts, but we were very close. She took me with her to everything she did. I went out on dates with her. I was sitting in the back seat. I, I mean, it was. I got to witness teenage life in the 50s as a kid at eight years old, seven years old. And my love for rock and roll for pop music, for dancing, for the whole scene yeah. of the 50s, uh, gelled and stayed with me for my entire life. Remind me, did she take you to see the Beatles at Shea Stadium? No, no. no. Well, by the time the Beatles came, I was already a teenager. Got it. Um, uh, and uh, she was already, uh, you know, often married. Uh, we're talking uh, sure. the age of Little Richard. We're talking about, you know, and part of what I forgot to mention is that during that time, some of the greatest seminal rock and roll radio was yes. happening in new york which i listened to and i used to listen to alan freed every night on wins uh and i used to listen to the countdowns and the top 40 shows and i would make my own charts i would <laughs> i would design to, to see because there were like four top 40 radio stations in new york and i noticed some of them had different number ones you know i started figuring out this is a subjective thing this is not coming from the government okay <laughs> you know, these and uh, I started making my own charts and seeing how close I was to them. And then I started to judge them on which ones were most accurate because I was able to tell from my friends what was really popular and not. And of course, I went on to among the many things I did in my life as I designed the charts at Radio and Records. Okay. I, redesigned, I redesigned the charts at Billboard magazine. Oh, wow. And then I introduced the idea of topic charts for talkers for talk radio. Sure. All of this goes back. To those particular days, I gave you a long answer to question to your question, but I don't no, know if you can talk about this. 
Well, no, because it gets down to something I've talked about, obviously, with program directors, the concept of playing the hits when you're talking about, you know, news topics. And so mm-hmm. being able to discern, right, have an ear, right, you have obviously have the ear for music, but to have an ear for what's happening outside and what is resonating with people, it's, it's really the same thing, isn't it, Michael? Oh, it's absolutely yeah. the same thing, because ultimately, one man's gut is another man's research. Sure. The, the, there is no empirical research that will tell you the truth of about human nature and the mystery of, of public taste. You know, it, ultimately, it comes from your gut. It's funny. I just had a conversation with uh, Glenn DeVries, one of the astronauts who went up in Blue Origin, and we were talking about qualitative versus quantitative data, and that that seems to get into to, to that area. Um, so, so shifting gears, because it's funny. I also, as you know, I also grew up in New York. Um, WNEW became the station that I listened to after, and I think that's right, there's a transition that kids make. I listened to stations like WABC, when WABC was a pop top 40 station, um, and I'll talk to you about that in a second. Then I listened to the the morning zoo pop uh, radio uh, Z100 in New York. Um, you know, it's funny, as a kid, I didn't have a concept for what radio was. And so I thought that all of the, and I'd listen to WABC on my little transistor radio, and I would think that the band's we're actually coming in out of the studio, which is sort of my, my which really earlier really? on there, there were. Yeah. You know, I thought, well, that, oh, wow. That, that's so- a throwback. That's a throwback to early radio when the bands were in the studio. Yes, and when, I, they, I, and I, when the D, when the DJ came on the scene, the, the musicians union complained bitterly that this is the death of, of, of music and radio because it's sure. now fake. It's automated. And one of the, the original DJ shows was called the Make Believe Ballroom. Oh sure, actually, yeah. yeah. So, so you you weren't that unusual in terms of your perception. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. You sort of you move on, but but you know, let's talk about this because we're going to get into the music and we're going to get into what set WNEW apart. But you talk about the personalities. We won't get into what we were talking about beforehand. Um, but 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 personality and that love for the format. Talk about being a DJ as an art form or radio as an art form. I've always seen radio as an art form. And one of the problems with today's radio is it is no longer really the art form that it was. The format of the radio station, the flow of the station, the the identity, the identity, the stationality, if you will, yeah. the jingles or the lack of jingles, mm. the similarity between the DJs as well as the differences. It was a nuanced thing, but you would never have dead air. You would never have always from the background. Everything was pristine as much as it could be for the technology. And there was a momentum and a feel to radio stations. You can even hear the sound of the technology. Certain transmitters had one sound, others had another. I could tell all that as a kid. Um, It was an art form. So when uh, progressive rock radio popped up on the FM dial, which was considered, FM was not real radio. Yeah, uh, it was uh, sort of like what streaming was back in 1999, okay. 2000. It was an alternative that was in many ways better, but yeah. not ubiquitous in its distribution, therefore not real. And um, the whole paradigm shift of the DJ without a lot of commercials, with, but they didn't have commercials. That's sure. why there weren't a lot of commercials um, playing long tracks uh, talking sort of like I'm talking to you right now, as opposed to putting on that whole W ABC type of a thing. It was a major leap in terms of the staging. And it was like Cinerama versus uh, Charlie Chaplin, black and white, uh, flickers. I like that analogy. 
No, that, 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 that's a great analogy. It, it's it's interesting because I was I, I've thought a lot about sort of you know where I learned sort of my approach to radio and talking about pacing and energy. And you you talk about the sort of you're right this this kind of this issue of of the identity. Um, in terms of the talk radio side, that's why folks who have, who have come out of, I think, the top 40 side of things have been so successful because they bring a certain degree uh, of energy and they and they understand pacing and how to sort of keep people engaged. The but mechanics. The of, well, what was that? The mechanics. Yes. Very important. Absolutely. But but when you talk about and we'll talk about sort of this this changeover, I mean, obviously, there was a sea change happening in America in the, the mid to late 60s. Um, things happening politically. We don't have to, to, to touch on that, though, though that does play a role. Obviously, what was happening with the music was changing drastically. And so music with an explanation and having, you know, if we're talking about radio as theater of the mind and DJs having direct relationships with their listeners, one of the things that I've taught students, you know, when I talk to kids who are doing college radio is you have to explain people are tuning into you for a reason. They want to hear your perspective on this. They want to know why you're choosing the music that you're choosing. This gets back to what was happening on WNEW, and we can talk about WLIR as well, but, but, but talk about that. Well, it's true. You were a guru. Uh, to be a disc jockey on um, a progressive rock station circa 1967, 8, 9, 70, 1, 2, 3, and on into the 70s, was a, um, it was like being a talk show host. People tuned in to hear your take on things. It, you were not um, just a voice uh, as part of a format uh, and uh, under management that says, shut up and play the music. <laughs> yeah. Your commentary was part of the presentation, your attitude, and your musicological, we use that term, we were musicologists, sure. we took ourselves very seriously, uh -huh, of course, which I look back fine. now and I realize some of it was snobbery and some of it was showbiz and some of it was real. Um, so, you know, as the years go by, I look back differently, but it was for me at the age of 21 years old to be the morning man on mm. WNEWFM was like, uh, if I were drafted out of high school or college to be on the Yankees. Sure. It, it, there was a, and, and it was only, the station had only, I was a second generation of what were hundreds of generations. Yeah. There, there were, the, the station was on the air for a few years before I landed in that position. But uh, I landed, I was one of the first newcomers after the original staff started to fall apart. And to me, it was, it was like, oh my gosh, I now, I'm a cultural leader. I have to rise to this. And that's the way we looked at it. Just a broadcaster, but also somebody very involved in the popular culture. And you mentioned before the politics. We won't talk about the politics. Oh, we can talk about key, politics. But, but it was key to it. It was yeah. political. It was cultural. It was generational. And we thought it was just the most important thing in the world. Let's talk about this for a second, right? Because so I started listening to NEW. I was probably in my early teens. So we're talking about the 1980s and things had switched over. You had the Dave Herman Rock and Roll Morning Show on WNEW, which I'm not going to say was a zoo format because it was not, you know, the the um, uh, the Scott Shannon Z100 Z Morning Zoo kind of a thing. But it was certainly not, you know, it was it was not your late night kind of a talk radio show. Talk about how it was doing morning radio on an FM format in the 1970s, because I think that's a there's a real kind of a bank shot here that we're talking about. You're you're talking to people who are in their cars or if they can listen to, to listen to the radio at work. Talk about your audience and, and, and how you would approach it in, in the early 1970s. 
mostly we were talking to college students in their dorms. That was uh, the cars did sense. not have that. Then when I went to NEW in uh, 1971, uh, there were not a lot of FMs in cars. At that time, the nighttime was considered prime time. The, sure, the star, yes. the star, the star of the station was on from six to uh, ten a uh, p.m. Rather, yeah. six to ten p.m. And then the ten p.m. to two a.m. shift was the second biggest one. <laughs> Overnight had a cachet to it. Um, the least important time was morning drive. That's how I got it as a youngster. Makes sense. And and then the midday, ten a.m. to two, was considered to be a little bit better. And then two to to six drive time afternoon was considered good, and then nighttime. Yeah. So I was I was on a time that was considered to be sort of a throwaway. Sure. But what I did was the unexpected. I wound up being the highest rated in Arbitron uh, DJ on the station wow. because I did I did something different than the other ones did. I was playing to audience tastes, and during that time, more and more people were getting car trends. Uh, uh, translators okay they, uh, uh actually that wasn't the word there's another word um, converters okay they were selling uh, at radio shack they were selling fm converters to cars and you would hook it under your dashboard and plug it into the radio and now you'd be able to get the fm dial wow so more and more yeah more and more people were um were listening in their cars during that time um i wound up uh with tremendous arbitron numbers there was a little bit of resentment about me <laughs> uh, among the older uh, crowd sure. from the first generation, there was the politics and all of that. But the reason I was able to get numbers was I was the first one to say, wait a second, the audience likes certain songs more than other songs. Yeah. I started to think about hits. Absolutely. And, and there was a great controversy within the, the halls of progressive rock radio stations as to we don't play hits. We play what we like. We, 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 and they started to play as much esoteria as they could, esoteric music to please each other. And I wouldn't do that. So I was at the beginning of what was going to be AOR. That was starting to yes. album oriented rock as opposed to this progressive, which was a very subjective. Sure. Kind of, uh, it became kind of phony, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, and uh, well, you know, I, I'm more progressive than you, of course. As opposed to, I'm a broadcaster trying to create a, a new format here sure. that's going to su succeed with getting advertising agencies to buy commercials and have a real business here. And it, that's where we. I, and I left NEW and started AOR. It's it's funny you bring that up that that debate and discussion because you know so I as I said I've been fascinated by radio since I was a kid. Um, was doing college radio at my college radio station wcwm in williamsburg where i live now and that was always the debate and discussion you know there was a there was a, a an a-list and a b-list and you had to play something at least you know one song from the a-list and one song from the b-list and of course it was all of this very esoteric very hoi you know hoity hoi polloi uh, uh highfalutin you know new wave new wave is not the right word because new wave would have been good but whatever you know garbagey college rock sort of stuff underground um, it, it, it was it was underground as under, opposed yes. to mainstream and and there was always the debate between whether or not the station should be more oriented towards people playing what they want and i kind of go along with that i think you know if you're doing a college radio show you should be able to play what you want i played classic rock and blues um, but you know, but, uh, other folks wanted to turn it into a, a pop station. So, so you go to California, right? Am I understanding this? You go from New York to San Diego. Was your station broadcasting out of, out of Mexico? Did I read that correctly? No, that's not true. Uh, okay. it was, a, it was, it, it, it would never have reached 
okay. San Diego. If it was right. broadcasting out of Mexico because it had such a small signal. I went to a station, uh, KPRI at 106.5. Okay. And uh, it was a small independently owned station. Most stations in those days were independently owned. And it was competing against a mighty rock station uh, called KGB AM and FM uh, that was being programmed by a very famous program director uh, of the name of Ron Jacobs, okay. whose claim to fame had been Boss Radio, KHJ in Los yes. Angeles. And he was doing at KGB kind of a variation of what I had been working on. He didn't call it AOR. They called it rock. Yeah. But it was sort of it was AOR. And, and, and he was good at it. And I was hired by this station. Uh, under the um, the deal that I could do AOR, I could show everybody what it is. But here I am up against Jacobs, and Billboard magazine used to write about Jacobs every week, like he was okay. God's gift to radio. And I was just this kid from New York that nobody <laughs> on the West Coast knew with with my AOR thing. But time out, that's time out for where a second. I went. Michael, time out for a second. So I just want to get the timetable clear. So you're in Southern California in the mid 1970s. Uh, I, I went to uh, Southern California in early 1973. Okay, and worked WLIR uh, uh, KPRI rather mm. until '75. Uh, okay. At which point I moved to LA because during the time that I was at KPRI in the early '70s in California doing AOR on the air, I became a editor of the brand new trade publication radio and records ah. where i was writing about aor for the rest of the nation to see and that counterpointed billboards um sure. writing about ron jacobs and it built so i was part of the original team building radio and records at the same time i was building aor but the point is my point is you're in southern california right at the at the obviously we have the the folk rock sound of the late 1960s laurel canyon sound but that that moved into that transformed into this you know southern california country rock sound linda ronstadt the eagles etc we played more of that on the. We played more of that at NEW. Is that right? We did. Yeah, I remember. I was on uh, KPRI, one of the first shows I was doing, and I was playing one of those type of things. And I pick up the phone from a listener, and they go, "Get that blank, blank hayseed country blank <laughs> off the air and play some boogie." There you go. That's um, funny. And that was a whoa! What an eye opener. We were much more interested in the Linda Ronstadt's and the James Taylors and the Carol Kings and the Peter Paul and Marys and and all of that type of music back at NEW in the early 70s. Wow. Then the audience listening to album rock uh, was on the West Coast. They were more into heavy metal and boogie and ZZ Top and all that. Look, you know, we, you and I could go down the rabbit hole of no, no. about all of this, but the point is that there already were the seeds of different interpretations of this culture sure. being fought out in, in, I call them radio wars. And, you know, people go, oh, it was such a golden day. Everybody got along and we played whatever we, <laughs> no, we fought like cats and dogs at every radio station over which direction we were gonna go in. Sure. And one of the reasons that AOR emerged is I was a hell of a fighter. Okay. I, I, I had radio and records going for me. I had a big mouth. I was pretty talented on the air. I knew my That's music good. and I was influential, but it was a fight. To this day, I, I, yeah. I wake up screaming. That's <laughs> interesting. Yes, you, you, you have, your, you have your, your traumas from it. I, I, I get that. So, so you spend that time that you're in, you're in LA, you get this sort of rooted. Now, when do you make your way back to WLIR? Right. 
uh, I didn't ever made my way back to LAR. Oh. LAR was how I got to WNEW. Got it. That I, makes sense. I, I started WLAR as a rock station on Long Island prior to NEW and was discovered because LAR was pretty successful. Yes. Uh, I, was, I was a college kid uh, on Long Island. WLAR was a place that I was working as a staff announcer while I was working my way through college playing Montavani music. It was a totally <laughs> obscure radio station sure. located in the basement of the Garden City Hotel at 92.7 on the dial, owned by a mom and a pop, a real mom and a real pop. Yeah. And um, they were having trouble. And uh, after two and a half years of them getting to know me and I was getting more mature and, and, and still in school, I talked them into making me program director and changing the format to progressive rock to compete against WNEWFM in that go. lucrative Nassau County, Long Island market. And it was such a huge success that nine months later, after we kicked it off on uh, July 20th or whatever it was, or July 2nd, rather, uh, 1970, I was hired to do mornings at WNEWFM when Roscoe left. You may remember okay. the name Roscoe. Oh, yeah. When Roscoe left, they shifted the dial around. They moved Pete Fornatel out of the morning and put him into middays. Wow. They took Jonathan Schwartz from middays and put him into the coveted 6 to 10 p.m. position. Uh, Zachary quit shortly after that to go to WPLJ, and they moved Allison Steele, the Nightbird, from the, Nightbird. the overnight to 10 to 2, and then they moved my buddy from LIR, Richard Neer, into the overnights. <laughs> that's that's a, how <laughs> that that's all happened in, uh, in, in 1972. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it was a it was a real, I mean, I'm going to say an incubator. And I know, listen, it, it's New York. So there are a lot of fans of WNEW who are out there. And it was a, it was to me a real shame as much as I liked seeing you know, Don and Mike go on to, you know, go and do talk on WNEW in New York. When WNEW shifted away from music and into a talk format, there was certainly a part of my childhood was 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 lost. Um, but but you know, you talk about this. So you've been a part of of some of these major pioneering pioneering stations, pioneering movements. I mean, you know, as I think about it, because WLIR became a massive giant in, in terms of the the approach to to new wave and alternative rock. And then, you know, obviously NEW and then the, the work with AOR. Why? I mean, besides, so, you know, so many questions I, I could go down this road, um, Michael. Well, we can make a series out of this. <laughs> oh, well, without a doubt. And I, and, I know you're, and, I, and I know you're short for time. But, you know, so I've written a couple of pieces about, I consider, I, I think radio has a long life to it. Um, is there going to be a time when music radio has a return to having personalities behind microphones introducing the music or is that all and done with all over and done with because of the corporatization of 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 music radio i never like to pronounce anything dead and i don't okay, have good. a crystal ball however however i do think it's a long shot for um am and fm radio as we know it to um see a comeback of music as its primary product yeah. and am and fm music radio being a primary motivation for popular culture. You see, there was, it was a couple of things that were going on there. Not yeah. only was radio the vehicle for music, but it was the uh, source of where um, young people got their information to be part of a culture. I don't, I don't think it's gonna happen again because I don't see the will to do it yeah. within today's corporate structure. If there was the will to do it, anything has a fighting chance. Sure. Of course, the very nature of what is radio is the question of the hour yeah. as we go forward into the 21st century. 
No, well, we'll talk about that. I mean, it, before I before I let you go, uh, because that that's that is such an, a, a vital a vital question to ask. It's this issue of why are people going to radio, and it's usually it's because they want to make that connection, or they want to have a conversation, or they want to learn something, or they want to feel better about something. I, I mean, there's always going to be, I think, that hunger there, I, and I think you would agree with that. There's no question. Yeah, I just hope that people in the radio industry understand that. Yeah. When, you know, I, I wonder how connected to the radio industry and the magic that created radio, a lot of today's uh, captains of industry within radio are. Many of them are very corporate. They're very concerned about uh, paying down debt. They're bean counters. Sure. They're, they're into numbers. And um, they know they've got to create cross-platform, you know, media stations, which is what I call the station today is a media station. That makes sense. Uh, um, but they don't have a inherent understanding of what it's like to be a radio fan and all Mm. of these art forms whether it's cinema whether it's running a baseball team whatever it is if you have when the operator has an understanding of the fans perspective then you create a product that has magic if you don't have an understanding of the fans perspective you just create something that is designed to target an audience based upon moment to moment tastes you know and it's, it's not the same it's funny because before he got and i think unfortunately axed from uh wjfk the big the big uh, uh sports talk station in dc chad dukes uh who now podcasts he he had he was on the right track you talk about stations as, as media platforms radio stations as media platforms you know chad was chad is entrepreneurial right he he he, he had his main radio show he now owns a store in, in Fairfax, but he was always doing these one-off podcasts based upon what he saw. I mean, it was stuff that he wanted to do, but also based upon what he saw as as what his fans wanted, including incidentally doing a podcast about the business of radio, um, um, you know, talking with folks he'd been in radio with. And I think that's, you know, more stations need to understand that, that, that there are these folks are clamoring for outlets. It's the same reason why, you know, on WBAL, I've been so, uh, I, I always wanted to talk, in addition to talking about politics, talking about music, because it was something I knew that my my listeners wanted. I think you're absolutely correct. Michael, once again, before I let you go, so so how can how can folks find out uh, the, the various things that you're up to? Talkers.com is, uh, is the way to go. Yes. And um, I, um, I, I answer all my email, michael at talkers.com. I love talking to uh, uh, listeners and to fans of the media, and um, it keeps me very plugged into what we talked about before. I think that radio must be connected to the people, to the street, to the grassroots, local, and uh, to the culture. And um, I'm still fascinated by all of that stuff, and that's why I'm still in the business. You and me both, and and uh, and uh, you can catch Michael on the Michael Harrison interview podcast, which can be found on Podcast One, uh, the host of the weekly show, The Michael Harrison Rap, uh, which can be uh, uh, heard on the Talk Media Network. And Michael, right, right happy anniversary to WNEW, 54 years. I mean, obviously, they're not doing music anymore, but... 54 well, it's years. Great. It's a great milestone yes. for those of us that have an appreciation of the history of radio, which is now 100 years old. And wow. for those of us who have an appreciation of popular music and the relationship between it and the culture. And let's face it, for those who um, have a soft spot in their heart for the history of the post-war baby boomers. Absolutely. Well, Michael, thank you so very much for joining us today. Andrew, thank you. It's been an honor to be on your show. Thank you.